A River to Cross, Chapter 5, The River Roars a Little. Quote, For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. End quote. James, Chapter 3, Verse 16. Football in the mill town of Bude was played under the banner of the Bude Bobcats. The size of the community dictated a form of the game called six-man football. This mill town was no different from any other place, and football is as much about the men standing on the sidelines attempting to arrive at world-changing, life-saving, problem-solving as it ever was about the game itself. I can't honestly pretend to remember much or anything about the games at Bude's football field, but I can tell you about the men and the mascot. The men stood on the bank by the field and pointed out everything the coaches and players didn't get right. Then they would turn their attention to local town and mill politics and allow as to what were the errors of the politicians and the bosses. Of course, they also dug deep into an evaluation of whose bird dog could hold a point without flushing the covey of quail and whose could find and retrieve a dead bird better than the others. The conversation I remember clearly was the one about the mascot and May's boy, referring to me. As I roughhoused up and down the bank, rolling in the grass and dirt, no doubt undoing a good scrubbing that had been given to me in my little boy clothes, they observed that it might be better to let the perpetually restless, snarling team mascot out of the cage and put Hollis in it. After a good laugh at that prospect, it was on to something else. I think I reveled in being the topic of attention even back then. I have no doubt that when I realized they were discussing me, I roared out my part all the more loudly and was ready to change places with the cat and go in the cage. The adrenaline rush junkie was being born without even realizing it. I can't count the times I've heard my parents, and particularly my father, tell me, you're just a little too big for your britches, young man. I think roaring at the Butte football games was one of the ways I started having trouble fitting my britches, so to speak. The bent towards drinking was being born without me having even the slightest clue. It was defined by pride and selfishness, a lethal combination. Someone in my family once said, you began walking away from home at the age of two, and truthfully, I guess I have never stopped. I spent much of my life searching for adventure and looking for the right cage, the right place for me in this great big old wind-blistered world. There were people willing to give direction, but even at a very young age, I thought I knew better than all those around me, and the early seeds of my independence were being laid. Another way to put it is that early on, I erroneously thought I knew more than the others around me. In Proverbs, the biblical book of wisdom, we find this warning. Do you see a man wise in his own eyes? There is more hope for a fool than for him. Proverbs chapter 26, verse 12. And then again we read, The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. 
There is much to be learned in patient attention to the lives and words of those in the world around us. Chapter 6, The River Runs Early Quote, Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. End quote. John chapter 7, verse 38. In my heart, I am wed to the home of Chittah, for better and for worse, and my life has had ample portions of each. I have learned best and most from the worse, but I choose to focus on and cling to the better. As I pen these very words, I write from the bank of the peaceful and scenic Homachita, where I have experienced many of my greatest joys and my worst failures. The Homachita is a beautiful river, and in many ways she represents the course of my own life. Given its nature, a river experiences drastic and tumultuous changes. It can be calm and serene, and it can be tumultuous. It has been very productive, but it also has periods and times when it is more destructive. I, too, have experienced these ebbs and flows, a preaching and drinking sort of up and down. I believe most of us can identify with a familiar river or stream if we're willing to give both a fair and honest look. I cherish and enjoy this great river in my life, the good, the bad, and the ugly. The Homochitta and I have been involved throughout my life as I have been in, on, and around this river since my very early childhood. I have walked its wide sandbars, fished its deep green fishing holes, hunted in and along its wildlife-rich banks, treasure hunted on its many rock bars, partied on and in its refreshing waters, loved in and on it, and from it worshiped God from whom and to whom it ultimately flows. I have built camps and cabins on it, entertained myself and many others on it, laughed and cried on its timeless banks more times than I can possibly count. I have lived my life on the ancient lady we call Homochitta River. I was first introduced to the Homochitta by my daddy, Mays McGeehee, who loved the outdoors and especially the Homochitta. As a result of his extreme work ethic, though, he spent precious little time enjoying the river as an adult. As a young boy from Bude, he regularly slipped off to the Homochitta to swim, fish, and enjoy the river with his friends. My first time in the Homochitta with my father, we went to the place we all know as the Proby Hole. This locally infamous swim hole is the site of many known drownings over the last 100 years. It is defined by a majestic clay bank on the north bank, a part of the Rio Vista plantation owned by my great-uncle Dan McGeehee, longtime congressman from the state of Mississippi. The scenic multicolored clay bank extends out into the main stream of the Homochitta, creating a series of grottos and eddies and at times currents that people have tragically found to be deadly. On this early trip to the Homochitta, when I was about four or five years old, my dad and I came to the Proby Hole from our side, the south side, owned by my grandfather, Dr. Claude McGeehee, a renowned country doctor. We crossed our large sandbar populated with heavily laden plum trees and lush blackberry and huckleberry bushes. 
I recall trembling, partly from fear and partly from cold, when Daddy put me in the proby hole for the first time. But I quickly settled in and had the first of a lifetime of good times on the home of Chitta. My father and I have butted heads many times and in many ways, but this is a precious and special memory as he held me close in his warm heart and long arms showed his love and strength. I felt safe and loved in the arms of my daddy, a small-town boy turned World War II U.S. Marine turned young lawyer. That is a feeling I still have about my father today, and it is the feeling that easily prevails over any other. My first trip to the home of Chittle was an adventure, and it set the stage for a lifetime of adventures in the river of my life. Long after writing this first chapter, I lost my father. I was in the room with him when he passed. Before I allowed the representatives from the local mortuary to remove him from his bed, I held him close for a moment. I guess I was trying to recapture the feeling I had when he held me close to his chest so many years before. He was trying to warm me from the spring coolness of the home of Chitta. I was trying to hold him and stave off and deny the chilly reality of physical death. I was crying out in the same way Dylan Thomas once did for his father to rage, rage against the dying of the light. Yet I am glad that I knew then and am reminded now that Mays McGee was no longer on that bed. He was being welcomed in the presence of his heavenly father. Quote, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? End quote. John eleven twenty six. Learn early on to love and appreciate your parents in all their blessings and various imperfections. They are battling through life just as you are. Footnote 6 and 7. William Proby owned more than 3,000 acres divided by the Homochitta River. As I look out the window from where I am writing, I can see his gravestone. Born 1784, died 1849. The Proby Hole is named for the longtime owner of both sides of what we call the Proby Hole. Since the early 1900s, the McGeehee family has owned the area previously owned by William Proby, the North Bank by Congressman Dan R. McGeehee and the South Bank by Dr. James Claude McGeehee, brothers and both now deceased. Footnote 7. Dylan Thomas, do not go gently into that good night. Chapter 7. Setting Hooks on the Home of Chitta. Quote, then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea. End quote. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. When I was about six or seven years old, my daddy would take my friends and me trot lining on the quiet and peaceful home of Chitta. Late on a Friday afternoon, we would go down to the river and set up camp. Then just before dark, we would get in the river, setting our hooks on a long cotton line stretched across the channel of the river. Just below the Highway 98 bridge and a little above the Proby Hole are two ancient, craggy cypress stumps standing as two silent sentinels to the many changes in the home of Chitta. The plan we always followed was to set out the hooks and bait them just at dark. 
then returned to the sandbar, build a fire of driftwood and river birch found along the banks, and wait for the fish to bite. Hours later, we would again strip off our street clothes, get naked, wade out into the cool waters of the river, and check our lines for fish. If you knew my father, you wouldn't have any trouble understanding my shock at this serious departure from his usual impeccable dress habits and extreme attention to decorum. It showed me he was just a regular guy, something I had not realized previously. He was and is at heart that little boy from Bude running to the river to be a more recent incarnation of Tom or Hook. We didn't usually catch a lot of catfish, but we almost always caught a couple of big ones. Those fish were probably four to eight pounds, but when we waded out into the river, raised the line, and saw the dark image of a thrashing good-sized catfish, it was like seeing a whale as far as I was concerned. I learned early on, and at the cost of a severe talking to, not to pick up the line high enough to let the fish flop off. I just held the line. I could feel the tugging, and it tugged all the way into my heart, causing it to beat about 11 dozen beats a minute. It was as if this process, man and fish, was thought of by me for the very first time. It was the stuff of great memories. I can feel those lines tugging in my mind and heart to this very moment. Setting hooks on the home of Chitta is one of my earliest memories of enjoying the river and its bounty. The home of Chitta was beginning its journey in and through my life. It has been and it remains a journey of love. In like fashion, with all true loves, there are times of heartache. But on this trip, I knew nothing of the heartache that would follow in time. I was just enjoying having my heart tugged. I was a long way from figuring out the preaching from the drinking or that such a thing even existed. Don't hurry anxiously through life. Pause and take the time to enjoy each blessing as it comes. Every day is a gift to be treasured, even and sometimes especially the bad days. Chapter 8, The Shortcut Parenthesis, there are no real shortcuts in life, in parenthesis. Quote, enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. End quote. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. I think entering, quote, through the narrow gate, end quote, must be quite similar to coercing a river to stay in its banks. It seems this principle of the narrow way had begun to elude me even early on in life. The flooding and overflowing of the banks were recurring themes for me as far back as my tender years. One of those tender years I recall quite clearly is Christmas 1960. I was just a few weeks past my seventh birthday. One of my biggest heroes was Johnny Unitas of the Baltimore Colts. I wanted more than anything else to be a Johnny U, the man in the black high tops. I was always pretending to be him, or if one of my friends beat me to him, then I was more than okay to be Raymond Berry, Johnny U's favorite target. 
Johnny Unitas was only the most famous quarterback ever and maybe the best-known athlete on the planet. I guess he was everybody's hero. When anyone asked me, what do you want for Christmas, I had a quick answer to that question. I want a Baltimore Colts uniform with a number 19 on the jersey. Santa came through and I got the uniform. Whether it had a number 19 on the jersey or I made believe that it did, I was happy regardless, and I'm sure Sears Roebuck and Company was a little bit better off for the wish fulfilled. There were many nights I slept in that jersey and my little helmet too. In our little neighborhood, one of the Christmas Day activities was to go around to each of the four or five houses nearby and see what everybody got for Christmas. Man, I was so proud to show off my new uniform and helmet. A few days after Christmas, a bunch of us gathered up at Miss Lola Lee Pritchard Crawford's house, visiting with our childhood neighborhood boss, Lex Pritchard. We planned to have a big football game at the school circle, which was just down the hill. Parenthesis, we played most of our major world-class sporting events there, except when we played tackle football on the courthouse lawn. In parenthesis, we were all preparing for our big football game. Everyone was on bicycles, so we took off together for the school circle. When we came to the intersection by Dr. Jack's house, where the safer and usual way was to go straight, pass by the Methodist church, and then turn left onto the street that ran directly into the school circle, everyone in our group went that way, the straight way, the safe way, the right way. Everyone, that is, except me. When we got to the first stop sign, I decided to take the shortcut and turn down the hill in front of my parents' house. I took off from the stop sign, zipping down that hill with the wind whipping through my helmet, my jersey flapping on my skinny frame. I was determined to beat all those other guys to the circle. I knew the shortcut. I may have been the smallest, but I was going to be the first one there. I went barreling down the hill towards the stop sign and, of course, had no thought of stopping. My only thought was maneuvering to make the turn at maximum speed. The next thing I knew, I was making an unscheduled manned flight into the chain leak fence around the high school football stadium at the bottom of the hill. That unscheduled flight originated when my bicycle hit a Volkswagen traveling west on 2nd Street. He had the right-of-way, and I ran the stop sign. My flight ended when my Baltimore Colts helmet hit the cyclone fence about three or four feet above ground level. I walked away from what could easily have been a fatal collision, parenthesis, actually two collisions, the first when I hit the side of the Volkswagen and the second when my head, encased in my new football helmet, hit the cyclone fence. I can't say for sure, and that should tell you something, but I believe we had yet another trip to Franklin County Memorial Hospital for a little checkup. Amazingly, the only real wound I had was a cut to my right elbow from hitting the hood of Mr. King's Volkswagen as I passed over it on my flight to the fence. Quote, There is a way that seems right to a man, and a seven-year-old, but in the end it leads to death. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 12. I decided to go my own way, to take a shortcut. 
My painting outside the lines ended in what should have been a total disaster, but by the grace of God was just another near calamity in my young life. I wasn't thinking or I might have learned something from this revealing sneak peek about the choices I would make throughout my life. The lesson I see is simply this. There are paths that look like shortcuts and seem to be better, but the reality is they are not. Quicker and or shorter does not necessarily mean better, and it certainly does not mean safer. When I set out for the school circle, I had no idea I was about to have an encounter with a Volkswagen on the way to the big football game of December 28, 1960. We don't know what a day holds, but when we are looking at our choices each day, we can know that whatever looks like a shortcut almost surely is not. In the writing of this account, I find myself taking a close look at my life, not just at what happened, but why it happened. What I see is not pleasing, but I am glad I finally had the courage to look and to ask myself some tough questions like, what were you thinking? The short answer is I had a complete disconnect in the Department of Planning. I did the next easiest and most thrilling thing with no thought to a longer-term plan or consequences of poor choices. As I peer deep into my own soul and come face to face with myself, I see a darkness that is centered in seeking in my own way that which can truly be found only in God. Trying to find from the resources of the world the right filler for the God-sized hole in our lives is never a good choice. The Rolling Stones sang, quote, I can't get no satisfaction, end quote. And truly what life has shown me in very plain fashion is that satisfaction, which is spelled P-E-A-C-E, can't be obtained from the things places, or people of this world. The peace we all need, the peace we were all created to joy, enjoy, is found only in a right relationship with Jesus Christ. Come to me, all who labor and are heavily laden, and I will give you rest. Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling, calling, O sinner, come home. Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. Come home to me, Hollis. Lord, please have mercy and help me to find that rest in you that my soul so deeply yearns for and has so futilely sought to find in my own strength. Go slow and observe the world around you. Be intentionally careful for your safety and the safety and well-being of others in the world around you. We don't have the right to be reckless or careless on the pretense that we are only hurting ourselves. Truly, none of us is an island to himself.